Hello and welcome to the Sport and Life podcast. Thank you very much for hitting on the button. Appreciate it. The podcast, as ever, in association with Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham, uh, top quality entertainment specialists in installations as well. Jason Briggs and his team around the corner from my house in Cheltenham. Good people, great kit, and I'm recording the podcast, as ever, on my Bang & Olufsen H4 headphones. Uh, also, the podcast in association with Cytoplan, nutritional supplement company based at not far from here in the Southwest Midlands in a place called Welland outside of Malvern. The supplements endorsed and actually helped develop by my father, Dr. Mark Draper. And if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, you'll get a 10% discount on supplements. Got a cracking podcast coming up today. Someone I spoke with recently at the first ever virtual a well-being festival, the Live Life Well po- uh, Festival, I say podcast, and I got podcasts on the mind today. Uh, but it was a, an Invision Zoom-based uh, sort of conference, and I spoke there to Paula Reed, who is not only an adventurer herself, but a specialist and a sort of um, leader, thought leader in the concept of adventure psychology. You can look up all online about her, but one of her um, most savage exploits to date as well as yacht racing around the world and and various cycling adventures. She did ski from the coast of Antarctica all the way to the South Pole, minus 40 degrees. She got polar thigh, which you can look again, her injuries online, which is pretty brutal, blistering and and sort of wounds developing through the abrasion of of skiing cross-country, cross-ice. So it's a pretty inspiring woman, and she can relate concepts of adventure psychology, and particularly what she talks about, the idea of going knowingly into the unknown, into the situation we're all facing now as we uh, get towards the end of May in the UK now, two plus months in lockdown, coping with the concept of, I guess, not knowing what's going to happen, what's going to happen to our businesses, what's going to happen to our health, the people around us and and the kind of, I guess, just um, intensity of noise that's not necessarily clear and, and constructive at this time as well, that the fear of over health and the fear over the economy and perhaps we're wondering how we should navigate situation and, and perhaps speaking to someone I think with Paul's ability to extrapolate that concept of going in into sort of extreme adventure situations to the everyday life could be helpful for you it has been for me speaking to her in the past at the live life well virtual weekend well-being weekend so hope you enjoy it guys Paula Reed. here we go thank you hi Ed Hello, Paula. How are you? Hey, that works. Good. Yeah, I know. It's all, all new, isn't it? We've spoken <laughs> on Zoom and now Anchor and it's, uh, it's, good. it's good. The brave new world. It is. Hold on. I'm yeah. my earphones out. Right, that's better. Cool. Yes, you can hear me okay? I can hear you well. Lovely. How have you been since we spoke? We spoke obviously at the Live Life Well podcast. Yes. I guess yes. that's almost, is that a month ago now? It was a few weeks? It's, it's flown by the time. Well, somebody said to me yesterday, she said, the days are going slowly, but the weeks are going quickly. And I completely agreed with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It is. And how about you? Because obviously you've got the, the adventurous spirit and you were kind of relishing, I think, some time with your mum because you spent lockdown with her when we spoke before. But are you, are you getting that kind of itchy feet now? How, how do you feel? Definitely, definitely itchy. And, I, and yeah. also I've been working out, I think it's the loss of freedom. Um, mm. I drove down to my old house well, actually this morning, and I've been swimming in the sea, and just that experience of doing what I want to do without <laughs> restriction. Yeah, geographically yeah. Geographically and physically, so yeah, lots of freedom. Yeah, that is something that we're not, we're not really talking about, are we, in the whole debate, is that, is that sense of, of being told what to do. It is, it's a difficult psychological one, isn't it, where I suppose you have to embrace the reason why you're doing it and almost not see it as a, a rule you're complying with it's a it's a difficult approach isn't it one we're, we're not used to at all no and the more we can accept and embrace, embrace difficulty the easier the challenge is because we're not fighting it or resisting it mm. How, yeah that must have been amazing to be in the sea you're a big sea swimmer because i love that it's uh, something i miss actually i live bizarrely managed to live in cheltenham which is about as landlocked as you can get <laughs> but i always miss the sea I love it. It was cold. Um, I've been in the last two weeks and uh, it took my breath away more than I thought it would because it was yeah. it looked very inviting and blue. So I just <laughs> thought Mediterranean, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? In England, the best time to swim is typically like September time, mm-hmm. isn't it? When it's had a bit of time to warm up, I think, is the, 
the idea over over the summer. Yeah, um, and loads of us swim on um, New Year's Day as well. So we we all have hangovers, of course, on New Year's Day. <laughs> and there's about 500 of us, I think, that all dive in about midday on New Year's Day. Awesome. Uh, and that just wakes you up and sorts you out. And then you get back on the drinking again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good plan. They've listed lots of benefits, haven't they, with, with open cold water swimming and stuff on your immune system as well, which is which is typical kind of, it's, it's topical, sorry, at the moment. Um, but how, how, how are you sort of approaching things now with your adventures? Because I know you were suspended halfway through, weren't you, with the... Sorry, that was me just a second. Yep, sorry, carry on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I am still curtailing my adventures. Um, I'm speaking quite a lot about them, so it's quite nice to relive them, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and the hubby, husband's currently sailing across the Atlantic towards the Med, so that's quite nice. Um, but I'm dying to... I, I've been back on my bike, which is great, because I did fall off and you know tear, tear a shoulder muscle so it's been fab to get back on the bike Good. um so i'm hoping to do some long walks and, to, and some long cycles for now and then you know as soon as i can bust out of, of the situation i'm, I'm <laughs> off I'm yeah there. i've been talking yeah i've been talking to some boxers and, and other athletes and they've tried to use it as a time to to kind of nurture those niggles and, and get their body back rested and, and fit as well as doing some exercise is that how it feels for you because you've done some extreme stuff over the past few years yes it's a great time and it's a great opportunity to sort your head and your body out actually because I think our psychological aspect is just as important as the physical with these things um mm. but I think what I'm missing is that sense of adventure of of doing a big exploration that really ignites all the senses and you feel really alive and vibrant and fresh and new because, you know, there's only so much local walking and local cycling you can do. I, I'm missing the big vista or the big mm. expedition type adventure at the moment, of course. Yeah, that's a different type of landscape, is it? You can't really get that in the UK. I suppose you can in, in parts, maybe. I must admit, I am a big fan of the UK. I've, I've walked it a lot. I've cycled it a lot. Um, I've done the coast-to-coast walk and the Hadrian's Wall walk, and I've cycled from... John O'Groats to the South Coast. And, and I really, wow. I have huge respect for our country. I think it's gorgeous and amazing. And mm. very varied, as you say. Um, and, it, you know, it's really stunning. It's such a beautiful country to live in. Yeah, it is. And this spring in particular, we've been so blessed with the fact that lockdown came in and the weather almost just ignited into a, a beautiful sunny spring, which has been great. I think it's rained sort of one day or something, which has been been incredible in the past two months. We were talking, Paul, obviously, at the festival, uh, the Live Life Well virtual reality uh, po- uh, podcast. <laughs> I'm on a podcast now, but the festival, which was um, founded by the, the people who founded the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival, Alex and Lottie, two ladies in Cheltenham, and they've, they've done a fine job bringing that together. But we were talking about adventure psychology, not sort of generically or abstractly, but specifically around this time and comparing it to something I had a little bit of education in in my undergrad degree in sports science at Loughborough with sports psychology. And we were just saying about the key variable being with adventure psychology was was the unknown and the ability to cope with the unknown. Do you feel that that's it's still relevant, isn't it, a month on and perhaps even more so than we were when we last spoke? Definitely still relevant. Um, there's two elements of adventuring which perhaps you find less in sport. One is the element of challenge, as in you know, tough, gritty, hmm. push yourself through pretty nasty challenges sometimes. And the other one is the element of not knowing what's around the corner and the unknown and uncertainty. And definitely we're still experiencing that. Um, hmm. And I think the other element that's coming in more so now, Ed, is the um, endurance aspect. You know, yeah. initially we were like, oh, this is interesting. This is kind of different. And now, like two and a half months in, it's like, well, this is getting a bit dull, isn't it? And how do we, how do we carry on coping? Um, yeah. And also the realisation that I think it's going to be a long trek out of the current um, environment we're in, if you like, a long exit path. Mm. Um, so the, the sort of analogy of an ultramarathon or an endurance event is, is even more patent. And how do we sustain and maintain and regulate our energy and our focus when it's, when it's such a long troublesome journey yeah how would you approach that uncertainty at the moment say for people who 
I think all of us will, will kind of track our income source to something that's been put on hold. For me, it's obviously live sport, which my day job working at Sky Sports is, is on hold. The Premier League may be coming back next year. Obviously, the Bund uh, next month, sorry, the Bundesliga football is back in Germany and there's been a few mixed martial arts events, but not much sport worldwide. When you look for people who might be thinking, you know, particularly those in the hospitality industry, I might have to do something else. Or would you be planning at this stage or is it too uncertain? Would you just keep yourself fresh until things open up? I think, Ed, it depends how much energy you've currently got. Because mm. if you're feeling like you're thriving or flourishing right now and you've got some spare capacity or energy, then yes, why not start playing with scenario planning and and um, almost brainstorming or, or imagining future path paths or journeys or products. Mm. Um, because you're right, the event industry, I mean, I used to be, I used to be in the event industry and it's going to be very hard hit. And we're, yeah. not, we're not sure what the new event industry is going to look like. So, so I think if we do feel like we have spare resource or spare capacity, then um, people are recommending now to scenario plan, to do some what-if um, testing and to do some anticipatory thinking or, or even visualising. Um, mm. but, but only if people feel like they've got the, the spare <laughs> capacity to do that because a lot of us currently are really just coping or surviving and you know our, our whole capacity and energy has been taken up as it is just to keep up with the current situation yeah it's difficult it's, it's a case of making goals that aren't time tied is there which i suppose sports psychology you always have a, a kind of project of of when you want to, to to increase your muscle strength to or your your running speed it's more specific isn't it whereas i think we are leaning more towards that adventure goal setting are we because it's there are so many variables that are affecting it, namely the principal one that we can't really move around and, and execute as we perhaps would have done a few months ago, just as a, a way of course. Yes, with I think to answer sort of both questions together with the adventure, some people set off an adventure uh, with no destination or no finishing point in mind. They, they mm. literally just allow themselves to be and to progress along a journey, um, which is kind of what we're experiencing now. Um, and I think it's about controlling the controllables. So day day by day, what's within our control to be able to, um, you know, concentrate on and carry out. And then I think if your mindset realises that you're on a long enduring journey and maybe you don't know where the end is, then your the kind of mental and physical person knows to to relax a bit into it and mm. to not continuously strive to run or sprint to the finishing line um, mm. and it ekes out our energy and regulates our energy a bit better so I think part of the battle is to to ease yourself into the duration of it and allow yourself to accept and tolerate what's actually a tricky situation to understand and um, and to kind of know what's going to happen so you can't have defined goals or deadlines I think it's more about determining success on a day-to-day -day basis more mm. and you make you, the energy one is, is interesting isn't it and I suppose you can ally focus as part of that energy what we put our energy in to what we expose ourselves to because it's fascinating for me I don't want to get into the detail of it but the the whole Dominic Cummings media storm and how all the people that I'm associated with on social media tend to be predominantly sports related or well-being related I'm luckily to have a few few adventure friends as well on there now including yourself but it, it, everyone was talking about that, that and getting very het up and, and very emotional about the whole thing it's watching it particularly on twitter unfold yesterday because i was actually at work at sky sports and i just thought wow people are getting this letting this really negatively affect them how much at the moment is it important to regulate our input because i presume when you were trekking across antarctica you are very limited in how much information you're taking in you're not absorbing all the stuff that people can potentially nowadays when they're when they're sat at home during this lockdown yes i, I really think adventure is also quite akin to mindfulness or meditation where mm. you allow life to pass through you if you like and you accept it for what it is and then you just be fully present in your own self if you like um mm. so so I think it's a similar sort of philosophy where you tolerate or accept situations. They are what they are. 
um, perhaps accept and tolerate that we are all uniquely different, so we are going to react differently to each other, and that's okay. Um, and then, like, mindfulness, you know, you allow the cloud to pass along and exit. <laughs> so, mm. so the Dominic <laughs> Cummings cloud would come into your uh, horizon or your radar or your view, and then you just let it pass. And yeah. then you don't get quite so het up or, or anxious or concerned about these external events that we've got no control over. Um, so I think it's a sort of mindfulness, meditation, fully present way to be, which helps, um, yeah, which you, you have on an adventure because you, you have to be fully present, like skiing to the South Pole, and mm. absolutely live in the moment and concentrate on your your sort of your own world without worrying or fussing or or spending too much time focusing on stuff that's outside of your control yeah and you had some brutal things to contend with not least the polar side didn't they which we there's a video online of, of that that people can look up a pretty pretty graphic and i'm sure scary condition to suffer from when you when you were skiing down to the south pole what did you what did you do around that because presumably there has to be a balance between perseverance but also awareness of how severe the condition is that, that perhaps you may have needed to abort if it had got too bad? Yeah, that's always a fascinating debate, Ed, because, again, people, you know, have different opinions about that. I, I mm. think, by and large, um, we, should, we shouldn't quit. So, mm. so sometimes <laughs> in tough circumstances or difficult times, of course, it's very um, appealing to stop and give up. Um, mm. And... And we have to occasionally, you know, when you weigh up or balance what's going on and, you know, if there's a life or death situation, then, of course, we should try and pull out of what we're doing. But I think mm. we can push through and cope with much more than we realise. And so um, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't typically, <laughs> but you can. It's Just fine. One. Yeah, no Just worries. One. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it now. <laughs> Which one? So I think there are um, shit quits and, mm. and legit quits. Okay. So sometimes we can quit and it's a bit of a shit quit because perhaps you shouldn't really have stopped and if you'd have pushed yourself a bit more, you, you would have got there or finished or whatever it is you're doing. Um, mm. Other quits are legit, as in, you know, on balance, it's probably absolutely safest or best to stop and and try and get yourself to safety or whatever. So with the polar thigh situation that I got on day seven, mm. the, the assumption was that I would um, that I would be medically evacuated out. Um, and we all assumed <laughs> that was going to happen, which really impacted my energy and my psychology and, and made me pretty grumpy. Yeah. Um, and for two days, I battled with this concept of having to give up. And it made me feel really bad. And I mm. eventually worked through it at the end of the second day, thinking, well, hold on a minute. It's probably my decision as long as I don't become a burden or take unnecessary risk. Yeah. Um, so I decided in my own head that I could continue. And once I decided that and told everyone, they all said, oh, OK, then. We just need to <laughs> manage your pain and make sure you don't get infection. And it's pretty difficult to get infected in Antarctica. There's no nasty mud or bacteria out there. So, so I said, well, okay. Mm. So I really just had to manage the pain, and that's a personal decision. Um, but it, took, it did take two days to pull myself up from the depression and the assumption mm. that I would quit. Um, how, how, does that, how does that condition develop in the first place? Is that a frostbite? Obviously, it's a, a tangent, but is that a frostbite? situation or how does it oh, it's fascinating. germinate it's fascinating Ed. it's a good question because everyone always wants to know what polar thigh is so it's well asked <laughs> um it's called it's defined as a non-freezing cold injury so nfci which is a no medical thing so mm. um but it is a cold injury it's called polar thigh because you only ever get it potentially skiing to the north pole or skiing to the south pole so there's something about the continuous skiing movement, you know, scissoring your legs oh, yeah. in, you know, for 12 hours a day. Whereas if you're climbing Everest or a freezing mountain, you don't get polar thigh. So there's something about that continuous scissoring for 12 hours a day, which yeah. rubs, your legs are then rubbing against your base layer and, and 
causing causing abrasion and friction. Oof. So so what actually happens is that you get um, red raised welts all along from your bum to your knees, all around your legs, mm. and they gradually Oof. blister, and then the flesh gradually breaks down, and you get ulcerated, and then necrotic tissue. So mm. it is pretty nasty. Lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but that's tough. That's tough to get through. I mean, that's. I suppose there's an, al- an analogy in there, isn't there? Of, of sometimes you have to suffer. I, I suppose that's something we're not always comfortable in the modern world with. Is the, is the concept of of suffering without getting overly stressed at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it, it's. Um, I wasn't. It. I don't. I sort of don't mind suffering, and I think a lot of mm. adventurers don't mind suffering but not in a weird way. <laughs> we, yeah, don't, yeah. we don't get a kick out of it. Um, and it's definitely not sexual. But there's something <laughs> about knowing that we can push through and then getting yeah. confidence from that thought and then actually pushing through and then realising that you could and that you did. And therefore, next time, you're even more strong and determined and capable than before. So um, mm. there's I I sort of enjoy suffering, but in a very... Um, in a way of self-development and resilience development yeah. than anything. And I just know that if I can push through, like I did with the polar thigh, anyone else probably would have assumed that the medical evacuation was going to happen and just allowed themselves, if you like, to be a victim of the circumstances rather than mastering their own destiny. Um, mm. And I think they would have gone, oh, okay then, I'm going to be medevaced out. That means no more skiing to the South Pole for me and it's mm. interesting you know so much was going on in my head during this time um, and as soon as I decided that I was going to carry on I felt so much better I felt <laughs> strong and free and you know capable and amazing again it, it, it really did my head in clarity there's a clarity came came to it I suppose which sometimes we can we can sort of lose energy in, in indecision don't we yes indecision is is not good for us. Yes, you're right. But I also think with any physical injuries, um, there's too much emphasis on the physical injury and not the mental side. So um, Mm. I think manage the pain, but also manage the brain when we've got any sort of um, physical injury or or suffering, because I think our head needs sorting out just as much as putting a plaster on the on the wound. Mm. And what, what you're doing as well with, with the injury, but also with the very concept of, of skiing down to the South Pole across Antarctica. And of course, as well, the other events you've done sailing around the world, what you're doing is, is managing risk and, and being comfortable with risk. And as we're sort of going to what I think they're calling the phase two of, of lockdown, where things are slightly released, that people can go back to work if they need to, that, that people can exercise pretty much freely now, that we're having to cope individually with, with our own calibration of risk aren't we and looking at the variables is that something that that we can learn from adventure psychology with that, that people who maybe have a higher tolerance of risk but people that are, that are also happy to to sit and calculate what the risk is perhaps without being too fearful to not even think about it yes i think that risk is an interesting one it's quite personal so some people have a higher tolerance or appetite for risk than others then again the more we manage risk and allow ourselves to enter a risky challenging stretchy situation but then practice our coping skills then that's good for us and it it builds our strength and tenacity and grit and resilience and all that lovely wonderful stuff that we need in life um and I also think we are bringing up a cotton wool generation and that if we're not careful, the more the government tells us what to do, the more institutionalised we'll become. So then we mm. need to find our own self again and how, you know, we need to become self-responsible again. And definitely when you're on an adventure, you've got no choice but to manage yourself because there's not, there's not a pizza hut around the corner or, or an yeah. ambulance, you know, 10 yards away. It's all about absolutely being aware, managing risk on a daily basis, and then taking really intelligent, sensible, logical decisions about it. Mm. 
Yeah, and what people have said that, that the coronavirus is different to other forms of risk because potentially it can impact other people. I know you've been living with your mum and clearly I presume she would be in a, in a vulnerable category by, by virtue of her age. But I think other elements, people talk about getting in the car is not a risk, but it's, it is a risk to other people, isn't it? If you get in a car and you drive down a motorway and you're lackadaisical with it, not only are you endangering yourself, you're endangering others. So I think there are other walks of life that we do accept risk. It's just perhaps at the moment we've, understandably from the government's perspective, been put into a state of fear, but now we have to sort of try and be more rational and clear about about what the risk is for us individually. And I suppose controlling the controllable, like you said before, and taking responsibility. Do you feel that people are, though? It's interesting. People want the magical elixir of the vaccination. Clearly, that would be a huge, huge help. But it seems like to me, and I don't know what your experience is, that more people are taking their health in hand, more people are exercising, getting outdoors uh, from around me, and that's in the centre of town in Cheltenham. Yeah, it's... There's, again, you don't want to listen to too much social media and all that because, you know, one person might see one person being a bit irresponsible and suddenly you've got this wildfire of criticism and anger. Um, yeah. Which is... But people are exercising positively, yes. aren't they, I think, more? Would that be exactly. fair? I was going to say, I think the behaviours are way more positive than, than we assume from the media because, you know, bad mm. news is what gets spread. And we have a tendency to listen to bad news at a ratio of three to one to good news. So I think the odd individual perhaps being irresponsible and being called all sorts of things is very rare. And what I've witnessed is, is very self-responsible, um, you know, grown up behaviour, if you like. Um, lots of courtesy and compassion, which is absolutely wonderful to see. Um, yeah. As you say, lots of fitness and people going back running or back cycling, which is great. Um but then potentially there's lots of eating and drinking as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, it's amazing. You sort of realise, don't you, start to point a bit of weight, like, wow, it's because I'm not, you know, you, you don't ever have that long day at work where you don't get any food. You're always constantly filling up. <laughs> Although you said you had to put on weight for the the, uh, the, trek, oh, yes. the uh, ski, didn't you, across Antarctica? So that was one of the, Joys. I guess, the, the strange <laughs> burdens. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one, how you have to adapt in life. I guess that was an adaptability because you do that personal responsibility when you go on an adventure you can't rock up with a either going individually or with a team and sort of find yourself unable to walk up a hill because you're too unfit you have to prepare yourself don't you take responsibility for your fitness yeah absolutely Ed. And, and that's what i call going knowingly into the unknown because adventurers aren't really re reckless but they're actually quite repellent to the concept of being re reckless um so it's yeah. going back to that risk management to make yourself fit and capable and knowledgeable before you leave for any any risky undertaking um yeah so i i did some research studying lots of experienced adventurers and i was actually so surprised about how much preparation and intelligent prep and decision making was going on before people even left or departed for their for their adventure so yeah it's, it's about being self-responsible though edge really isn't it about mm. about yeah being self-responsible and and mature and intelligent about all our behaviors yeah it could be a positive positive legacy to to come from it and everything when you when you and this is obviously a personal opinion when you look at trying to restart your adventures how what sort of time frame do you feel is or are you not even wasting that mental energy pontificating that yet are you just waiting to as you say control what you can control or are you starting to make any loose plans about resuming your latest challenge well people are back out on the water uh and i think horse riding is okay again and stuff so so i think within our own country i've got i've got mm. lovely ideas of doing long walks or long cycles or or some paddling i, I paddling some rivers uh, probably because it's yeah. hot right now i'm probably really leaning, <laughs> leaning towards that the only thing is how much of it is outside of the UK and, and that's an uncertainty. Um, I'm yeah. currently on a 50 good turns challenge, which is cycling across 50 countries and doing one good turn in each. I've done 12, Ed, so there's 38, 38 <laughs> to go and I'm, I'm keen to get going on that, but I'm not yet thinking about it because um, I reckon it will be next year really before we get quarantines all lifted and you know, a bit more free travel between countries. 
And what was the example of some of the good turns that you've done? Were they spontaneous or are they things you've planned in advance? Uh, some of them are planned in advance, but then I quite often find it difficult to know exactly where I'll be on which day because I'm circling on a basis of you know, trying to do 80 miles a day and then wild camping each night. It's quite hard to prearrange wow. with a charity without being a pain in the butt um, as to when <laughs> I'll be there. So some have been planned where, for instance, I've been helping at a... Um, there's a lovely farm for mentally and physically disabled children and in Holland, and I helped there for a while, and it was lovely. Um, and <laughs> in the UK, I helped the homeless for a bit. Um, oh, great. And in other events have just been spontaneous. Even a bit of um, picking mm. up rubbish en route is, is you know, is yeah. pleasing. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Well, you mentioned the homeless. It's a really tough time, isn't it? It's a chap I know in Cheltenham I speak to regularly, and trying to help them a bit and give them a coffee and tea and stuff. But I think that, I think the shelters are closed potentially, or they're because of the social distancing stuff, which again goes down to that risk. I'd imagine if you asked some of the, the homeless people, they'd prefer a bed in a risk of coronavirus sometimes than, than sleeping rough. It's a difficult it one. Is. Isn't it is. And I was, I was listening to another podcast Ed, about the hotels that have opened up to the homeless, which is fascinating mm. because at first they were all quite nervous and scared of being in a hotel room. Um, but now they've yeah. got used to it and they can actually turn off the light and be in the dark and stuff like that. Um, but it's given all the charities a great opportunity to actually properly speak to them about their life and their finances and their future. So the good news is it hasn't just got them off the streets. It's actually been an opportunity mm. to work with them over a number of days to try and sort them out a bit. Yeah, I suppose it's difficult without that base, isn't it? I mean, you'd be able to empathise with them from the wild camping and, and going on those kind of challenges, I suppose, with that concept of being rootless, albeit you're doing it mm. temporarily. So sort of how you adapt and how, without that sort of go-to structure of a home and an address, I know it's difficult to, to get going. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting one in terms of um, trying to kind of, trying to get normality back as well, isn't it? And how you help people and how we do everything with the, the risk of the coronavirus. Do you see it as if this is something we have to live with, that we just have to, do our research about what our, our characteristics are, how vulnerable we will be if there is no vaccination for the next few years? Is it, do you see us living with it for, for a while, potentially? I can see, I can see that happening, yes, Ed. Um, the, you know, the lack of science around how long perhaps we might be, um, be OK after we've caught it, for instance, that's still up, up in the air. Um, I was picturing even people, you know, if they start giving out certificates saying you've had the coronavirus so you're okay for a bit they used they used to have yeah. measles parties didn't they and chicken pox parties oh yeah yeah chicken pox parties still well, a thing yeah. in my little girl's I mean, primary school maybe yeah. we end up having covid parties and people wanting that certificate to say you know you've had it and you can roam free again but oh it's gonna be, it's gonna be fascinating mm. but i can just i can see it sitting alongside other you know um uh diseases and and um flu and flu-like um situations for for quite a few years i guess mm. yeah we are we coping with the and, and being confronted with the concept of our own mortality that perhaps in regular life we're not aware of and that presumably is part of adventure psychology you have to be aware of your own mortality as you say not to do anything reckless yes and mortality awareness is considered to be a positive thing even though it kind of feels like it isn't Though mm. other cultures are better at it, um, the Brits yeah. and the Westerners aren't quite as as embracing of it as perhaps the Eastern uh, philosophy. But um, mortality awareness is considered to be a positive thing, and yes, we yeah. are. I think this situation has brought us closer to the idea of death, um, which which is a good. It's seen as you know a piece of positive psychology. And hopefully it will help us mentally cope better with our lives and um, dealing with, obviously, the very sad loss of people that we perhaps know. Um, but then there's yeah. also the interesting one of it kind of makes life, it's literally a deadline, isn't it? Um, and yeah. one of the reasons it seems a positive is because it then hopefully helps you appreciate your life more and gives you that sense of perspective mm. and um, joy of being alive yeah and it gives you a sense that even not only your life but your livelihood could be taken away so particularly people who are doing something they're not enjoying 
if it can suddenly change in the blink of an eye, perhaps that in itself can be a, a motivation that you, there is no such thing necessarily. Is that we've always you know, lived in a pretty safe period since the Second World War, but things can happen beyond our control that can take it away. So actually trying to control what you can control and, and, and do something you enjoy, spend your time wisely, I wonder if that will be a legacy. Because clearly that's something that's always been imperative to you is to, to do things, take on challenges, be places that, that you enjoy. Yes, absolutely. I think life is a gift and we should make the most of it, to be honest, Ed. So happily, I've had mm. that sort of philosophy since I was about 13. But um, sometimes it does take a critical situation for people to be aware of that precious gift of life and to make the most of it. And one thing that might mm. happen is a load of people won't want to go back to work after furlough finishes because you know, <laughs> they've found that life or that lifestyle or that joy of running or, or cooking that they yeah. didn't really have before, which is good in a way. I, I honestly hope that this gives us a real kickstart to, you know, switching what what track we were on, you know, as a, as a whole global civilization, we were on a track going a certain way. Yeah. And this has really flipped that switch and we're on another track. And I hope it's, I hope it really benefits us and we, we change our lifestyles for the better. I hope it really is providing a positive um, change to us and helping us reflect on what life is really all about and what's really important. Yeah, what's really important is a strange uh, interplay. And we mentioned the technology at the top and how we've had to all pivot to embracing technology to particularly work from home, conduct interviews through Zoom meetings. We've got a Teams app on my, at my work, uh, another social media app called Yammer. We've had to learn and download all these different things just to stay in touch. But the dichotomy being at the same time, I've spent a lot more time in the garden. I think a lot more people have been outward looking. That's why I always have tremendous sympathy for the people in London who've been pictured in the park. And, and lots developing about vitamin D, the importance of sunlight at the moment for people's health. And I think there's it's such a complex picture that I think sometimes people are too too quick to, to judge that whole thing. But there has been this mix of technology and nature. You've obviously been someone who's embraced nature, but presumably for those expeditions, you, you use technology, navigational tools and things like that. Is that. Are we getting a keener sense of the importance of nature and, and maybe how to use technology, not be used by it? Is that a positive that could come out of it? It's sort of the the biophilia hypothesis about how we feel better when we're around green stuff. I hope so, Ed. I really do. Because there's no doubt whatsoever that nature is good for us, that fresh air is good for us. And the natural gym of having to walk or trek or climb, you know, in the, in the world out there is good for us. So, you know, we are born mm. to run. We're born to be hunter-gatherers. And it really suits us. This lifestyle of sitting at a laptop worrying about emails, as you know, is, is just generating stress and obesity and so on. So we know mm. the science and the evidence stack up that, that nature and being outside is really, really good for us and that the world, the physical, natural world is, is very, very important. And obviously we're in a path of destruction at the moment. So I so hope it's bringing us outside and also... Um, making us realise what an amazing natural world we've got out there and that we really need to look after it. Yeah, particularly with spring in bloom. It's interesting, my dad's actually taken on a small holding of a, a couple of acres and started planting Lovely. fruit and vegetables, going back Lovely. to his roots. He's a doctor, but he's, so he's been going consulting with patients and, and stuff. But for him, it's been a great regeneration on his days off to go and sort of grow strawberries and, and things like that. It's been really nurturing and he he spent a lot of time on a farm in south wales as a, a youngster so he's really enjoyed that and he's been on the podcast talking about coronavirus from a medical perspective but i think spiritually he's been galvanized by that which is which is interesting isn't it and i think it's um the health the health benefits of of everything we, we're starting to think and just be more aware mindfulness seems to be you, you mentioned that at the top do you think generally we're able to to step out of the torrent the momentum in people maybe that's a little bit scary for people but do you think slowly we'll be able to i guess make more cogent decisions about about our lives again i hope so uh, they say it takes 21 days to change a habit but I've, I've just got worry that people are just going to try and switch back and go back to their same old same old which would be such a shame because i think mm. as dire and difficult as this situation is it's also an amazing opportunity for us to really reflect on what we're doing and why we're doing it um and it's come at a time when the obviously the climate crisis was reaching a bit of a hiatus too so a combination of a pandemic and and climate change you know together is is the world telling us something isn't it yeah 
Well, it's, it's hard to ignore this stuff, though, isn't it? The, you know, however cynical you might be about, uh, you know, whether you're someone who, who decries global warming, but the actual reality of dolphins being in Venice and, you know, people in, in Wuhan seeing across the streets and, and people seeing mountains in India for the first time, it's, it's hard to argue with that, isn't it? Now, now we can see what it's like without it. Yes, and, and there's some amazing, you know, software and global apps that you can look at the lack of pollution, you know, the, the colour zones around the world that used to be bright red with pollution and smog and chemicals and now you can look at them as a live app and I can't remember the name of the software but it's incredible now when you see the difference on a global scale yeah and then on a micro scale um me and my mum were, were looking at all the tadpoles yesterday in her pond which in, which had oh, nice. just now turning into tiny frogs and we were staring in the <laughs> pond at these tadpoles with legs. And then we realized that the actual weeds in the pond were covered in hundreds of tiny, tiny frogs. And it was just wow. gorgeous. And we just, you know, like a kid when you used to go pond dipping or something, we just sat and watched yeah. and touched and looked for over an hour. It was wonderful. Yeah, we've been on some nature hunts for my little girl. She's in reception the first year of primary school. So we've been to sort of tick off fine um ladybirds and dragonflies and, and goat ponds and we've seen newts and all sorts so it has been it kind of reconnects you actually having and, and i guess that's embracing a, a child's mentality and even if you're not around a child it's remembering that that sort of that exuberance which i think my dad is doing actually with his with his allotment of being around farms and, and growth and, and nature it's interesting that when you talk about people going back to their old habits paul because clearly what we are doing a lot of people are juggling stuff from home emails social media and we've got all these platforms of communication we're doing another one now and i'm grateful for you for for downloading the app to to be able to do it um how do you discipline yourself not to get absorbed and distracted from being productive because i think that's what a lot of people struggle with isn't it john hudson who i mentioned to you before is a uk chief military survival instructor and he said to me that actually although he's written a book trying to extrapolate survival stuff to help people every day in some ways he finds it more difficult every day to to, to sort of manage that inflow of emails and, and messages and, and still focus on what he's trying to, to execute. Yeah, I, I get caught up in all the noise as well quite often, but I'm, I'm pretty disciplined and strict and I, and I know and appreciate the benefits of how we should balance our lives. Mm. So I'm quite good at ignoring emails or social media or media itself and knowing that it is good to switch off now and again and being pretty disciplined with myself about that. So so mm. sometimes I find myself amongst the weeds and the minutiae, um, but, but more often I'm all about absolutely stopping to reflect and breathe and work out mm. where I am in the world and what I'm doing and um, trying to concentrate on the bigger picture more than the the small detail so yeah it's it's mm. difficult because you get yeah because we get we get anxious don't yeah. we i mean even the yeah even the first the first week before we did the talk on live life well for some reason alex sent the email understandably to one of my other emails i don't check regularly when you and i were gonna have a phone conversation then i sort of panicked afterwards oh, i didn't speak to paula because i didn't pick that email up till the next day because the email i check regularly is this one and i've got a work email as well but i think you have to sometimes just trust, particularly with work and stuff, that if you're off, you're off. And if people really need to reach you, they will reach you with a phone call. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, the, it's getting the perspective, isn't it? Um, and mm. again, if I, if I take us back to the adventure mode, one, you've got that lovely curiosity and childlike wonder at the world. So that helps you broaden and expand your mind, if you like, both looking at mm. the tadpoles but also the sky and, you know, so that curiosity and wonder and awe are lovely emotions that broaden our minds. Um, and then there's that lovely sense of perspective that comes with it. So, so the curiosity and the being fully present and that sense of, yeah, nature and perspective, I think can really help draw us out of the emails and the small detail and get our sense of, what's important and what's not so important um, yeah and that yeah now potentially we have people on meetings at work sometimes sitting in their beautiful garden you think yeah. well, fair play to them they're they're trying to combine both you know and it's, it's, it probably gives them a relax sense of relaxation when they've got the birds tweeting around them and the you know the, the breeze in the trees and and flowers 
Yes, and I'm generally optimistic about the world, Ed. So I be- I believe that yeah. we have dealt with and got over a lot of horrible negative situations already in time, you know, over the last century. Um, we have got rid of, mm. you know, some really big, nasty situations, um, but we are on a on a positive upwards path and we are slowly but surely progressing <laughs> towards a, a more positive um, way of being, albeit, albeit we are still yeah. a long, long way off. <laughs> and that, that concept of change is an interesting one because I wanted to touch on this because something that struck me about your story reading up about you was your versatility, your, your eagerness, your curiosity, you say, to embrace a, a new challenge and a different mm. mode of adventure. So you've done sailing, you've done skiing, you've done cycling and probably more that I'm not even even aware of. I know you mentioned you like running and, and swimming and outdoors and all this kind of stuff. How important is it when we come out of this, if things have changed, the world has changed, that we don't limit ourselves with an identity of, of necessarily what we're good at? I mean, it's silly things that even during this time, I've learned you know, to properly poach an egg for the first time. For some reason, I never poached eggs. I'd always have just at home scrambled or fried. And I thought, actually, I do like a poached egg. And it was re- really easy when I did it. But it was weird having that time and that sort of just a bit more less fatigue and actually thinking, ah, you know, hang on a minute. You know, when I was a kid, I'd learn things every day and I watched my little girl, she picks up new things every single day. And you think at some point we limit ourselves with a sense of, all right, that's me, I'm done. This is what I'm good at and I'm not doing anything else. But you seem to have, have almost deliberately pushed yourself into different arenas when you perhaps could have said, right, I'm a, I'm a skier or I'm a sailor. Yes, I have. I mean, isn't, it, isn't it wonderful that you've just done a little microcosm adventure in poaching an egg? That is such a lovely analogy. Yeah. <laughs> But it's funny though, isn't it? Because for me, it was like, wow, and I've, I've learned to skip a little bit as well. I've had a skipping rope for years and never done anything particularly with it. But I'm actually like now, after a month or so, better at skipping, which has been, it's been a, a kind of micro reward, like you say. It makes you boost your confidence. It does. And that's it. Because when we, oh, it's lovely. I love those stories. Um, hmm. Yeah, because I think when we, when we switch out of our normal everyday um, confident world and stretch so anything new is stretchy right and I'm, I'm constantly mm. pushing myself into the stretch zone by taking on a new challenge new new adventure or as you say I do different styles of adventuring I could get really really good mm. at skiing but then I choose to do cycle touring <laughs> and then I choose to kayak and paddle rivers and so on so I believe in constantly switching my um activity if you like because it puts me into the stretch Mm. zone and when we're in the stretch zone we're learning and growing so much and there's a joy and Mm. enjoyment if you like in in doing these new things so you can you know it can feel a bit like you want to resist because it's a bit of a pain to learn something new and it takes more effort and time and you worry about what you're going to look like or whether you're not going to be able to poach an egg but actually yeah. when you do these things and the more often you do them the more flexible and stretchy you become and and um and then you're building up your massive you know toolkit of capabilities and resources and confidence yeah so yes i do i do consciously yeah. switch all the time what i'm doing because i think it keeps me flexible and agile and embracing all sorts of things and as soon as covid started to have a big influence in the uk i delivered a mm virtual online masterclass on the 18th of March that was early days and I just immediately switched wow. from face-to-face to virtual made it interactive and looked up how to do all the polls and the word clouds and the breakouts and, and that was the 18th of March so I'm I'm I liked being agile and I think survival of the fittest is actually survival of the most capable of adaptation mm. Yeah, it's, that's fascinating, that, that pivot, yeah, to technologies. I think we should all pat ourselves on the back to a certain extent who've had to do that. And I know the technology has become more intuitive, certainly for us to record this conversation is a lot easier than it would have been 10 years ago. We'd have, I probably had to have a giant computer and lots of different things rather than just my, my phone and application. But we should, should reward ourselves for that. There has been a, a growth in that. For most of us who aren't you know, tech savvy, I've got, I've got friends who work in IT, perhaps it's a lot more straightforward for them. They're aware of all this stuff before but it, I think Paula a big thing is is kind of being comfortable with being bad at something at the start isn't it which is watching what kids and obviously they learn quickly you watch them they pick up things they're sponges but 
when you first do anything, you're not necessarily good at it. And it's whether we have decided our own identity that we're not good at stuff or whether it's something that someone's told us. Because it's funny for me because my wife hates public speaking and stuff. It's something I'm more comfortable with, but I've done more of it. And I was told as a youngster, oh, you'll be good at you know, talking to people. And then I ended up going into the media. So it sort of became a self-fulfilling prophecy. But actually things like, for me, more practical, pragmatic stuff like DIY is, is more terrifying, which my wife thinks is hilarious. But I say to her, it's, a, it's the same thing. It's the same anxiety you have about public speaking, but it's a different arena. It's, I think people don't realise that sometimes, that we all have those feelings, but it's just about different topics usually. Yeah, and that's okay, isn't it? Isn't it okay to... So yeah. take your poacher egg example, which is small but simple and perfect for an example... You might have experienced a little bit of anxiety or fear or worry, which is ridiculous. But there we go. Um, <laughs> no, which well, is laziness as well, isn't it? Because you think, oh, I've, I've only got two, five minutes, so I can't be bothered to learn how to boil some water and chuck an egg in, which is all it is. But it's, it's just funny. It just it struck me as a little weird mental block that you get into when you're, when you're rushing through life. You're like, I'm not going to take anything else on. I'm just going to keep, keep going it's as, as long as I can. It's easier and faster, isn't it, to carry on doing what we always do. But then where's the learning and the growth and the wonder and the joy and the pride and the satisfaction and the, you know, adrenaline of doing all the other new stuff? So, so I think that's part yeah. of what the situation's given us is the time for most people, not all people, um, to experiment a bit. And then you've got your sort of limiting beliefs and worry, and people who are fearful. So there's all sorts of things going on. There's time anyway, because it's quicker and easier to carry on doing what you know well. Then there's the um, limiting beliefs or labels that we give each other. I can't do this. I'm rubbish at that. Mm. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a practical person. I'm not. I'm a social person. Or yes, whatever it might be. There's yes. Different things. And be able to be an adventurer and call myself an adventurer gives me almost carte blanche to do what I like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm an adventurer. Yeah. You know, what the heck? And if people like um, um, challenge me, you know, go and go and jump in a puddle, I'll go, okay, then. You know, there's no, yeah. there's no barrier between a thought and an action because. I embrace the world and do a variety of things and I've challenged myself a lot and I've made myself look stupid a lot and it's all okay. <laughs> so, yeah, and like I say, it's all fi finite anyway, so you better yeah. well make the most of it while you're here. That's the, the key, key message. But also you pick things, when you start something new, you tend to have a, a quicker trajectory of learning so you get more reward, don't you? Whereas something you're good at for a while is there's marginal gains, which isn't quite as exciting as that that first phase of, of learning something new. Although my friend's going to lend me his old golf club, so I'm, I'm thinking of taking up golf, which I've always been uh, a little bit tentative to because there's not much hurly-burly involved, which I always like football and, and rugby and sports like that. But I think golf, you have a lot of time to think, but it'd be a, a good challenge, I think, to embrace that for a person, personality Yeah, well, just try it like I do all my different disciplines, you know, just try it and it will give you a different experience. And I think if life is a gift then we should pack it with as many different experiences as we can as a sort of thank you yeah. for having the gift of life you know i've made the most of it i've kicked the ass out of my life I, you know <laughs> I've, I've packed it with interesting experiences yeah. and some of them suited me like rugby and some of them perhaps just gave me a different time like golf that's okay yeah yeah for, for, for you it's sort of like you're obviously that intrepid nature for a lot of people who who don't, as we wrap up the conversation, who don't want to, to go to Antarctica, who perhaps wouldn't find that rewarding. What are the key elements of adventure psychology that you believe you can distill down that we can incorporate into our life, particularly at this moment? And, and I suppose the bedrock being that concept that we are going into the unknown now, but creating a, a knowingly feeling about us as we go into this, this unknown, unprecedented time. Well, I think the first you know, thing is, absolutely, I'm not making everyone ski to the South Pole because the learning to poach an egg analogy works just as well and I see adventure in both of mm. those things and everything in between so um, the first thing is I wouldn't want people to be put off or um, resisting the concept of an adventure because it, an adventure is just a, a new undertaking um, I would like people to just stretch a little um, so if you stay in your mm. comfort zone and in the centre of your knowledge, it's very safe and feels comfortable, of course. But then if, if people just take a foot, you know, one step beyond their comfort zone, then 
then it's good for them. It builds their resilience and increases their knowledge and wisdom and um, gives them a life experience from which to, to learn and grow and so on. It, so my encouragement generally is to accept that life is a long, enduring journey full of challenge and uncertainty and to help them get through it is to just keep putting, you know, one foot outside of their comfort zone. And that might be just, for instance, um, wild camping for a night or wild swimming one day or walking down a path mm. that they've never walked down before. Yeah, yeah, that sense of adventure. I mean, we all, I suppose as human beings, we should have confidence in the fact that we've been able to adapt in the past. And clearly we've been adventurous because we've spread, spread across the world from Africa on foot. So we've been, we, our ancestors all were, all had that spirit in, in, involved. Yeah, I mean, incredible feats of endurance and, and progress. And there's the, the heroic age of exploration too, you know, at the start of the century last century mm. so there's the the as you say the massive migrations of people over time and then the heroic age of exploration and discovery about 100 years ago and at the moment we're exploring and discovering tech and and some science but i think we're beginning to limit our lifestyles and reduce our worlds into small sitting at a desk and on a laptop type worlds and we need to explore more and, and run the edge of knowledge rather than running the center of knowledge so people need to go on a mm. quest and explore and discover and become an edge runner <laughs> yeah and embrace the positives as well isn't it like you say that you spending time with your mum me with my daughter there's definitely i think aspects of this that we have to be mindful of and recognize that that we perhaps wouldn't have got this time before so it's there are definitely positives to it but paula i really appreciate you speaking to me thank you just give us a an idea of how people can follow you and, and how potentially companies may want to to engage you as well for for, for inspira- inspiring thanks their, Ed. Their thank you um so i've got sort of two personalities online one is just me paula reed for anyone who wants to look at the adventures that i've done or uh, the bucket list of things that i've done um, but the adventure psychology is genuinely um, a concept that we are delivering and I do think it boosts um, some clarity and certainty and control in very difficult times. So that is adventure-psychology.com or the adventure psychologist on Instagram or Twitter. Fantastic. We'll find you there. I know about the duality because I've obviously, as you know, my, one of my personal emails is Teddy Draper, which was my childhood nickname, but then someone called me Teddy Bear. So I became Ed as a professional one because I thought it sounded more, uh, more serious. But I think there's, uh, we, all, we all have those, uh, those different identities online, which is, which is part, of the, part of the picture of it and, and keeping up with it all. But as you say, we have to keep it as separate as much as we can as well and focus on the, the wonder of the mother nature around us. Paula, have a great day. I really appreciate your time. And um, we'll Thank keep you, in Teddy. touch. Wow, really enjoyed that with Paul. I hope you did too. Appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes, Sports and Life. I'm a sports broadcaster in the UK, but a little bit of fun on the side and just speaking to people like Paula, who I find thought-provoking, insightful, and kind of, I guess, doing things that maybe not only I wish I would do, but perhaps just giving an insight, I think, into to things that aren't covered in the mainstream that are really helpful to us, that, that connection with nature, that connection with challenge and the comfort that we can find with the unknown is important in the sort of fairly, I guess, Joe Rogan calls it the Goldilocks period we've been in since the Second World War. We've got a little bit, um, it kind of ensconced into our comfort zones, I suppose. But I find that really inspiring, that concept of going knowingly into the unknown. And the concept of, of retooling, reskilling, trying something new, being flexible mentally and and how you approach life, I think, is key at the moment. So we don't know what the landscape's going to be like, the economy's going to be like, where the opportunities are going to be when we come out of this. And also that connection back with nature for me is powerful. And I think I've been able to do more of that this spring, spending more time with my little girl and some of her school projects, like I say, which have been to go out and explore and, and find uh, beetles and ladybirds and all sorts of things. And it's been a beautiful spring in the UK. Hope you like that. Thanks to Paula. Thank you to show sponsors again, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, follow those guys on social media. They are masters of the finest equipment and the top rate installations. You can go to Bang Olufsen's website, Bang Olufsen on social media. Jason Briggs runs the team there, great team and good people. And they'll be able to consult with you, keeping social distance remotely or however you like it. And of course, 
give you uh, an insight into the best equipment for you. Cytoplan as well, food-based supplements, so it's digested like uh, food would be. My dad recommends their supplement, Immunovite, I-M-M-U-N-O-V-Y-T-E. And if you go to the Cytoplan website, cytoplan.co.uk, I believe, and enter the code DRAPER10, my last name, uh, in capitals, and then the number 10, you will get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening. If you did, please rate it on iTunes. Would really appreciate it. I hope you're well physically and mentally as we all wrestle with the somewhat monotony of this, although there has been a release of lockdown to an extent, gradual one in the UK. So maybe we're getting back towards some kind of normality, albeit in the context of coronavirus being very much alive and kicking in the country and the world as we uh, try and get back out there. Thank you, guys. Hope this helped and hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks.